welcome to the Justin Louis podcast. We're going to be talking all things mental health, addiction recovery, through to human optimization, and taking a deep dive into spirituality. Sit tight, listen in, and here we go. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with an Australian brother here, met in Bali, um, Reed. He's uh, currently in with the um, UFC, working with them guys, helping them on their nutrition and performance and stuff. Uh, he's going to be sharing his story, obviously um, his, his journey towards his current role and sort of what's uh, worked for him and, and sharing some wisdom. So thanks, Reed. No problem at all. Th- thanks for the invite and thanks for having me. Looking forward to, to chatting through some of this stuff. Yeah, no, it'll be good. We'll just sort of chat in the air, so we might just continue on. Uh, obviously, Aussie boy uh, yes. down, from down south, down Canberra. Where are you from originally? Uh, I'm actually from around Melbourne, um, but 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 I, I lived in Canberra for three years when I was doing my uh, PhD studies. But um, prior to that, my whole life in Victoria, so um, yeah. kind of halfway between Melbourne and Ballarat. I don't know if you know <laughs> back of Smash. Yeah, yeah, that's actually where I grew up. But uh, and then also in Geelong for a few years. And, uh, and then all around western suburbs in Melbourne. Yeah, so um, yeah. Def- definitely like the uh, cold down there, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty chilly at times. But then you get your your three weeks of over 40 in a row in summer, so it's, it's uh, crazy, huh? it's a mixed bag. Like, that's why Melbourne, the city I love, it's like the characters and like the character of the buildings and, and, and whatnot, but the weather for me just sort of blows me out. It's extreme. you got yeah. like fucking hot or it's cold or it's windy it's all, or it's all of it. Um, I guess we'll just sort of, uh, yeah, we'll recap on a bit of your sort of childhood. I know you were just saying you were a bit of a rebel, I guess, as most of us go through in them early days. Yeah. It took you a few years to sort of find your feet and then you sort of have and you've just sort of prospered since then. So, yeah, share us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much, how much of a rebel, but pr- pr- probably probably so, somewhere, uh, somewhere of an average rebel compared to most Australian males, I think. Um, <laughs> but I think what you're alluding to is, Obviously now I'm kind of doing all right with my role with uh, the UFC and some of the other jobs I've been fortunate enough to um to 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 do over the past few years. But yeah, growing up, um, kind of dropped out of school when I was 16, so in year 10, and uh, I think I was always like a decent student, you know, like kind of above average intelligence, I guess. But hung out with the wrong crowd, fucked around, and <laughs> you know was was more interested in in getting into trouble and having fun than kind of staying on the straight and narrow. So uh, yeah, dropped out of school when I was 16. And um and just kind of worked all the labouring jobs and yeah, yeah. you know you, you end up a, a a bricklayer for a few weeks <laughs> and then a and then a roof tiler roof tiling's the worst I think um it is for at, sure yeah concrete and I worked in abattoirs for about eighteen months or two years did ya so I uh, cutting up pork in uh in in, in Laverton. shout out to those boys <laughs> um but yeah did did all those kind of jobs for for years and eventually went to university when I was twenty one and uh, and started my studies and. Kind of worked uh, part time as a gym instructor and a personal trainer th- throughout those years, yeah. um, while I did the studies that, that that led me to what I'm doing now. That's awesome that you had that sort of realization at that age, because a lot of people sort of you know drop out and, and carry on doing what they're doing, like stick to labour and I'll stick to. Yeah. You obviously, had a few uh, conversations with yourself. Thought you know, fuck this, I've got two paths here. I can either you know keep being a concrete or a roof tiler, or I can actually go back and try to gain a skill set that's going to give me um, a career or a life that I want like to sort of have so it's like yeah it's good that you're um you're sort of tuned in at that age to um to be able to do that yeah it, it, it was interesting this will open up a whole nother kettle of fish and, and you probably want to talk about it but um there, there was kind of like a defining moment uh that 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 not change everything overnight but um that kind of set the wheels in motion so like i said i was probably always fairly uh cluey at school and could kind of you know do well in things i applied myself to but then 
dropped out and, and fucked around and did all that stuff. But um, when I was 18 going on 19, I was actually the, the victim of a, a violent assault and uh, from, from a person. I didn't even know this guy from a bar of soap, but I actually got stabbed nine times. Really? Um, yeah, after a party one night, you know, like young males are out drinking and, and stuff happens and yeah. kind of a fight broke out between people that I knew and... And um, yeah, like I don't even know this kid from a bar of soap, but 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 anyway, long story short, I ended up getting stabbed by a kid for absolutely no reason at all Crazy, uh, by nine nine times, and ended up in hospital and in in all sorts. And then that kind of um, made doing the labouring jobs after that point a little bit difficult. And yeah. uh, and and things didn't change overnight. Like I still kept going downhill for a little bit, but I think that's what kind of started me thinking that that there might be another route. Yeah, well. And um and also during that time doing the rehab, getting out of hospital. Um, got interested in lifting weights and all that sort of stuff and then reading books about the human body and physiology and all that sort of stuff and, and got me really interested in training and nutrition and uh, and then led me to do the PT courses. You know, everyone was like a Cert 3, Cert 4 <laughs> uh, fit, fitness back in the day yeah, and yeah. Uh, and did those courses and then ended up at uni studying uh, nutrition and, and exercise science. So, yeah, well, that's yeah. pretty full on, isn't it? Yeah, it was crazy, man. How long did it take you to, like, recover from that? It's quite yeah. a horrific fucking... It- Circumstances. Yeah, it's 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 funny, isn't it? Like I was only in, I was in hospital for probably about a week, maybe five or seven days. Yeah. Um, I had a punctured lung and everything else kind of missed. Well. Um, although I lost a lot of blood and I mean it it, it hurt like hell and uh, I mean certainly would have died if you know didn't receive medical attention. But um, yeah, it was probably like three or six months of kind of rehab and everything after that. Um, I remember I just sat at home for a few months, like couldn't do anything, and my back was so sore because. Like I got stabbed all up my back, like like four kind of either side of my spine, and. So what did he hit you from behind? You weren't even looking, or you don't. Know. He the, the way it happened was he kind of there was two groups of people walking, and this guy was in the front group and I was in the back group, and this kid kind of turned around and he was the kind of kid that if it had been the United States he would have shot up at school. Yeah, well. Um, he was just kind of a a, 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 a bit loopy, yeah, and um, and I was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he turned around and um and stabbed me in the gut straight away. He like front kicked me, and I grabbed his foot. And then he stabbed me in the guts, and I didn't realize I'd been stabbed. Yeah. It's actually the first fight I ever got in in my life. Yeah. And um, and and then, but I remember I'm, I'm like, man, I'm in a fight, and so I hit this kid, and I ended up on top of him, and so I was like full mount on top of him, and he just had his arm around the back, stabbed oh. me in the back the whole time. And oh. um, and my little cousin, who was only 16 at the time, he was there, and he jumped in to try and help me, and he got stabbed as well. He got stabbed seven times. Yeah. Um, but, but he was a lot worse. So I got a punctured lung. He got a punctured lung, liver, spleen, kidney, and stomach. And um and and he was real bad. And I uh, you were lucky because all yours are on the back. Huh? Like, I suppose you could have got your kidneys, but if they yeah. were up upper back, it would have been. Yeah, I mean, still, we were both very lucky. Yeah, and well, uh, what happened to the uh, the kid? Did they end up busting him? The coppers get him, or? Yeah, it's one of those things. Like he 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 ended up going to court. Um, he didn't go to court for like three years because you know they keep adjourning it and all, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he, I believe, he got sentenced to two years. Um, and did six months and got let out. Um. And, and that was an interesting one because, like, me and my little cousin, the other kid that got stabbed, we were, you know, you're kind of really angry at the world and that. You're like, yeah. man, there's, there's no justice. It's all bullshit and all this. And the feeling was that it's like, you know, well, it, it's. I felt like the world thought and the justice system thought, well, they're just young males out being idiots. We probably deserved it. We probably, yeah. you know, brought it on ourselves and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, like, man, if he did that to a woman or to an old lady, like, he'd never get out of jail. No, that's right. Um but yeah, so, so, so it was pretty rough. I got a thousand dollars victims of crime. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's all I got. And, and I remember, like, I had a I had a nice pair of uh, Echo jeans. Remember back in the day, people loved like the, <laughs> these jeans and stuff. And I would have paid one hundred and fifty bucks for these jeans, and they wouldn't even give me the money back for the jeans. Really? And I'm like, um, 
Yeah, I'm like, I got a thousand bucks. And I just remember there was a girl at our high school that got into a fight and, uh, and she got like a clump of hair ripped out and got a thousand bucks from victims of crime. <laughs> and so I just, I mean, it's a stupid thing to remember, but I remember yeah, yeah being 18 years old and being so... So dirty at the world over this stuff, but um, well, that's you, exactly, you get over it. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you too. Like, obviously, after I've been ex- like experiencing that sort of circumstances, psychologically, how long did it take you to sort of, you know, get your sort of head around it and be sort of, I guess, okay? Because, like I said, it was your first fight you got into, and you're getting into a fight with a bloke that's got a knife and he stabs you nine times. So it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, those sort of, you know, the voices will be back in the back of your head for a little while, or like, well, how, how long after did you sort of, I guess, fully, fully recovered? I guess psychologically from it all. Yeah, I don't know about how, how long it actually took. It's um it's interesting because like like I hear other stories similar stories to this and people talk about like, you know, afraid to go out afterwards, like afraid to because you know, we used to go out to nightclubs and parties and all that sort of stuff and, yeah. and that, that something like this might stop people doing that. And and it never did that for us or, or me and my cousin because we were kind of a little bit young and wild and yeah, you just yeah. kind of get back on the horse. <laughs> But, um, it's a good party story too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, man, like, you know, collecting these stories in life are pretty cool, right? It's like <laughs> as long as nothing permanently bad happens to you, it's, um, I mean, and, and it obviously form part of who I am today and, and I like who I am today. So it's, you know, if anything, it's a positive thing. But um, so, 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 so it wasn't like PTSD like that, but certainly it messed with my head for, for, for years to come. Like I, I remember it was the focus of my life for several years. Like mm. I thought I was socially awkward and kind of messed up in the head like I, I would talk to people and it would take less than you know 10 minutes of talking before it would come out that i would just be okay like, hey, sorry i'm a bit weird i got stabbed last year yeah. you know blah 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 you know things like this like um well it's a fucking huge thing to happen at yeah such a young age so, too right like so so it was strange and for my cousin he was 16 when it happened to him you know like yeah. poor kid that's young how old were you then you i was 18, 18. yeah oh, so 18. I, th- I think it was yeah 18 going on 19 yeah, yeah. But I guess, like, looking back now, it's obviously was probably one of the biggest blessings of your life, really, if you think about it. Like, like you talked about, you know, it was a dividing moment where you can sort of continue down the path you were going or then through that injury, through that incident, and you sort of, you obviously got sick and injured, but then it sort of channeled you into obviously working with, um, you know, human performance, like yeah. understand the body, the training, get into the um, nutrition side of things, which has obviously been your path <laughs> for sure yeah i mean yeah I, I like to think of it like that like i said it certainly wasn't overnight yeah. we, we we kept going downhill for another few years because i still remember hanging out at nightclubs when i was 2021 20, but um but that's kind of normal i think yeah. you know, that's what they say the naughtiest puppies turn into be the best dogs too right i feel you got. i haven't heard that one but that's a good way to put it yeah that's what i like to use because i mean without experiencing that sort of you know, you could say the bad or, or I say the dark side then how do you know the light side like mm-hmm. that's what i like to think of it as anyway and better still experiencing that when you're young rather than sort of being in a midlife crisis and hitting 40 and yeah. and not experiencing that stuff. And you see a lot of people out there that happens and they start to experiment with drugs and mm-hmm. they bust up their relationships and start partying when they're sort of 40, 45. It's like, you know, the body's yeah. <laughs> not in a position to be able to cope with uh, giving it the punishment at that age. You'd rather be given a little bit of punishment when you're younger and you can recover, is my <laughs> is my opinion. No, uh, agreed. I've, I've said that on many occasions. I think it's like... I don't think everyone goes through these phases, but I feel like the majority of people, particularly males, yeah. go through some sort of stage like that in their life, right? And it's probably best to get it out of the way when you're young and maybe when you don't have enough money to do real damage to your life. Because <laughs> if, like, if you're quite successful and then you get a taste for partying and that, like, yeah, can, I mean, yeah. rock bottom's the limit, right? Like, is, uh, well, there's no stopping then, in it? Because you've got yeah. the funds to be able to go on and on. Correct. Um, so that obviously happened at 19 or 18, and then yeah. that sort of pushed you into getting into your PT. So you did your Cert 3, yep. first and foremost. And yeah, how would, um, and then you sort of rolled in, well, talk us through that. Like, how was, yeah, 
it was that obviously you were sort of thinking, well, this is better than throwing roof tiles up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the 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 longest job that I had was was the abattoirs, and and I always say, man, it's better than lifting pigs out the back of a truck at, at four a.m. in the morning in a freezer, you know. And, and Ballarat um, too. Where was it? Uh, there was in Laverton. In Laverton, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's freezing too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but uh, yeah, and, and and then I did the the, the cert three and four in fitness just. Um, yeah, got, got interested in lifting weights and, and stuff like a lot of young guys do. And, uh, and then started working in gyms just as a gym instructor um, and doing a little bit of P- PTs. I was never that good as a PT because um, I don't like the hard sell, you know, and like PTs, yeah. they, they've got to be on top of it. You've got to be getting clients and, you know, booking in people for sessions and stuff, whereas I was more like I, I like working on the gym floor where it's like you get paid an hourly rate. You walk around, be friends with people, help them work out, mm-hmm. and and people would say like, "Hey, I need a personal trainer," and and I'm shooting myself in the foot saying, "Oh, look, you don't need to pay me fifty bucks an hour to be your trainer. I'll just write you a program, help you do it, and if you have any questions, come let us know." You know, <laughs> like I, I was just like really passionate about it, but um, not a very good businessman, but uh, yeah, and and so I did that for a few years, and then eventually went to university, um, and and studied uh, the the degree I did was at Deakin University, it was called Health Sciences. And you could pick majors, and my two majors were um, uh, nutrition and exercise science. Yeah. Um, and I knew I wanted to be a dietitian, which is kind of like the highest level of of, of being a nutritionist, I guess. Yeah. Um, and in order to do that, you also have to do biochemistry. So, um, I mean, I dropped out of high school, never did chemistry or <laughs> you know any science and stuff. Scared the shit out of me. I'm sitting in there in like biochem 101, and they're talking about you know fucking valence electrons and you know <laughs> atomic bonds and the hydrogen bonds and all this i'm like what the hell am i fucking learning like it's uh better than not learning it how relevant is that like looking back and think of all the stuff that you had to learn and mm. fair enough it's a it's a part of their programs but like now in in your current role like how much of that do you actually is mm. obviously wisdom well attained like is it actually you use it's a bit like school and they're teaching you algebra and you're thinking like not in your life you're even going to fucking use this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. do, you, do you find you use, um, like, was the, yeah, the the format of the course, do you find you use, like, they taught you a lot that you do use or there's a lot of stuff that you sort of had to learn that, like, in the real, in the field, mm. you're sort of like, you don't even fucking use it. Yeah, it, it's interesting, right? It's like, um, the, the answer is you use it more than you think. Um, and it's not that you directly use it. It's like, if you watch what I do day to day, I'm telling somebody to eat a banana, don't drink beer, you know, stuff like this, you think, well, you don't need to know about chemistry for that. But like having that underlying knowledge helps you understand the way the world works. Yeah. Um, and, and what I really find that it helps people do, and I'll notice the difference between people that have gone through these kind of, um, you know, pathways and degrees and, and, and stuff contrast to people that haven't, like it stops you falling prey to bullshit and pseudoscience and, um, and, uh, you know, like there's a lot of different fad diets and self-proclaimed gurus out there telling you that this is the way stuff is. And they give people a, um, an explanation of the way, you know, the way their diet works or why intermittent fasting or keto is, is going to, you know, bloody cure cancer and make you, you know, Superman and all this sort of stuff. And, and to, to somebody who doesn't kind of understand the underlying physiology, it all sounds plausible and, and they kind of fall prey for this stuff. Yeah. Whereas I think like when you understand the building blocks and the way that the, you know, number one, the way can, could the whole world is just physics and chemistry. That's mm-hmm. the whole world, right? And if you can kind of understand how that works and then kind of each kind of um, like, uh, I guess, layer or level of analysis of the world builds upon top of that, um, you, you've got a greater understanding of the way things are and you're less likely to fall prey to, to bullshit, essentially. So, um, you've got, yeah. got a holistic view of it all, right? Not just sort of looking at the parts 
separately you've got a holistic view of it, knowing okay what what why this happens is because of this or whatever. correct yeah yeah and 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 it's like and and also it's like like if i'm writing a diet plan for an athlete and i'm saying all right i want you to have two cups of vegetables and a serve of protein and a serve of carbs or whatever you know that's like the tip of the iceberg that's the part that you see but it's like all that chemistry and stuff is like the stuff that's underneath the water that you don't see and like maybe you don't need to see it but it's like again it's like understanding all that stuff just kind of makes you number one it makes you a better professional yeah. um but yeah it just gives you a better understanding of of the world and and less likely to um um yeah fall for bullshit i keep coming back to that but but that's yeah, a big one but it is like you touched on with the personal training a lot of that stuff you see on social media is like it's, oh, they're good salesmen they're not necessarily you know giving the right advice or the right information yeah. and, and that's like a very important point to know the <laughs> know the bullshit from the cow shit um <laughs> What's uh, what was gonna with regards to um, we might touch on that like intermittent fasting was one you just said too, sure. and then keto. I mean, I'm doing keto now. We're just doing like a 28 day challenge, mm-hmm. uh, mainly just to sort of give my bit of a blood sugars a bit of a reset. I'll mm-hmm. find myself a little bit sort of uh, sugar sugar tooth, like craving a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, give us your thoughts on obviously we'll start with intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. and if you got a sort of protocol you think of or or you think it's best and obviously is it for everyone in your opinion? Because mm-hmm. um, that's obviously a lot of bit of dogma around it's for some people not for some people or this and that i mean i personally um i do a fair bit of it not as strict um nowadays as anything just because yeah but yeah give us your give us your opinion on sure that. yeah so so intermittent fasting um like i would say and and of course there's going to be people that shoot me down here but um I am aware, and I'm not an expert in this field of nutrition, but there is more and more research coming out to say that there is some benefits um, to to fasting or periods without food, right? Because it's like kind of our, our metabolism and, and our body and our hormones and all this kind of exists in, in periods where it's like you're digesting food and then this postprandial um, period, like after you eat, and then kind of once it's all digested and everything's kind of done, then there's another period, which I guess is like the fasting, right? It's um, like the cleansing period too, and you're giving your organs time to sort of take out the trash where if they're constantly digesting food, they're not really getting any cleaning time, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know whether I would necessarily say it's cleansing and because I hate using the words detox and all this sort of stuff, but 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 the fact that there is these kind of different states that we're in and there's, you know, obviously eating is a benefit because you're getting energy and nutrients and stuff, um, but there might be some benefits to this other phase when none of that stuff is going on. Um, and, and so there is more and more research coming out uh, to suggest that there are some benefits to that. So. With that being said, the reason why most people kind of adopt intermittent fasting these days, at least the athletes that I speak to and the people that I speak to, is because they think it's going to help them with weight loss yeah. um, or alter body composition, so fat loss, muscle gain, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I think any effect it has on that side of it um, is is a very small effect size. However, um, intermittent fasting, which which and I guess we have to define the term. Generally, it's like what people say: I don't eat until lunchtime or something, or the, mm. the the period of time that they eat food is like eight hours or ten hours. They're going to start eating at twelve o'clock and finish eating at six o'clock or eight o'clock or, or something like this. Yeah. Um, for some people, restricting the the eating window in the day is going to help them better manage their overall dietary intake. Mm. But by far and away, the thing that has the biggest impact on um, on your health and particularly your your weight control is how much food you eat and what you eat <laughs> not what time you eat it yeah, or, or the window yeah, right. correct yeah. yeah but for some people if you, so so it's like if you eat 3000 calories over six meals spread across the day or you eat 3000 calories in one meal at lunchtime your weight's probably going to be the same yeah um however 
like structuring your your eating pattern in different ways can um, fit into different people's lifestyles better. So so for me, I don't like it because number one, I'm a pig. I love to eat, um, and 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 you know, I, I just like for me, I would much rather have smaller, more frequent meals. So for me, I'm probably eating five or six times a day. But that's not because there's some magic number with five or six. It's just that man, I get up at seven a.m. and I'm going to bed at ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I like food, so I'd rather, you know, <laughs> eat, eat, eat more often. Um, I, I might do, like, if I'm going to train early, you know, if I'm going to train at, like, 9 a.m. for a couple of hours of jiu and I don't want to have something heavy in my guts, maybe I'll just have a protein shake in the morning um, and then I have a bigger lunch, something like this. Yeah. So I don't know whether you technically classify that as a fast or not. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that there's no magic in a certain number of hours being selected to be your eating window, but certainly for some people, doing this can help them moderate their their energy intake better. It's all very relative too, isn't it? Like it's all there's a lot of misconceptions. Oh, this will work for you, but you see a lot of people that do that, and yeah, they achieve a lot of success. But then you see a lot of people that don't, and they achieve the same success or the same yeah. body composition. So it's kind of like <laughs> it's it's all it's all sort of like um, depending on the person too, isn't it? Like, a lot of it yeah yeah it's it's i mean there's people are more similar than they are different so it's like calories always matter yeah. um protein always matters um but how, how much calories we need to shave from your diet in order to get you to lose a kilo a week is going to be different than somebody else yeah for a variety of reasons that we can go into but it's like the the fundamental principles of like thermodynamics and energy and energy and energy at that's rock solid um but 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 there is some uh on a wiggle room around the ends um, of, of of some of these concepts, but it's not that the concepts are wrong; they're just like more or less important for a particular person. But the biggest things with all these different dietary strategies, it's just something that you can stick to and that fits into your life. It works. Um, but like I'll give you an example. Like like some people say this, you know, they like like so. So for some people, if you say you're only going to eat twice a day, you're going to have two meals. And some people just don't have big appetites, yeah. so there's no possible way in two meals they could eat. Let's say let's say your um, uh, energy requirements are three thousand calories a day. So if you want to lose weight, you need to eat less than three thousand. If you eat more than three thousand, you gain weight. So you tell this person you're only going to eat twice a day. That means in order for them to put on weight, they would need to eat more than three thousand in two meals. And if this person doesn't have a big appetite, there's no possible way they could do that. Yeah. If you told me, read. Try and eat three thousand calories in two meals. I'll, I'll double it. I'm like, all right, is that a challenge? Yeah, you know, it's like, yes. Yeah, some people could easily, you know. So it's like, it, it's yeah, it's horses for courses. But it's not that the calories don't matter. It's just that different people. It, it's more the psychology of it and lifestyle. Yeah, for that, sure. That, that makes it work or not work. And also, like you said about it, if you're trying to have a meal, like I could eat a meal for fifteen hundred calories easily. But obviously, some people, like you said, to eat that, then they feel sluggish or tired, or there's no point. How, how much? Um, differences that I have like obviously loading the system up with 1500 calorie feed is obviously a little bit more detrimental to how fast you can process it or like or like as far as how much protein you can absorb because if you're eating 100 grams of protein in that meal like really you're just fucking wasting a lot of it aren't you because your body can only absorb an X amount was it 40 grams per serve like per per, per meal or, or yeah it's, it's it's something like this you're right so, so so that's that's the one reason why when working with athletes I don't really recommend the time restricted feeding and the um, intermittent fasting style like with the calories I don't really think it matters that much yeah. carbohydrates and fat I don't really think it matters that much but certainly there's a lot of research to say spreading protein across the day yeah. um, leads to better outcomes than condensing the protein in in, in fewer meals um, 
and it's something to do with uh, with a essential amino acid known as leucine. And it's like there's and, and leucine is what without going too into it, leucine is what kind of triggers protein synthesis and, and gets the muscle building and recovery and repair and all this happening. Yeah. And you require a certain amount of leucine to flick that switch. But once you flick that switch, it's it's flicked. And so having more leucine doesn't do a better job. It's like you want to get enough to flick that switch. And then it kind of desensitizes this switch um, for kind of three to four hours. So the idea is that you just want to flick that switch as many times as you can throughout the day. Keep it going. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like if you're going to have 150 grams of protein in five meals, that's 30 grams per meal, you're flicking that switch five times. Yeah. Um, whereas if you have it in three meals, you're only flicking that switch three times, although it's the same amount of protein. Yeah. So there's a lot of research to support this, this line of thinking. Yeah. However, I will say, and this is what I recommend athletes do, I'm like spread your protein across the day for sure, at least four meals, yep. uh, maybe five. Six is probably overkill, but if you want to do six, that's fine. Depends um, once again if they're trying to gain or cut it too, doesn't it? Like, I mean, if yeah, I mean, it's more to do with calories at that stage as well, but... um. But 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 the thing is, like again, spreading it out tends to keep people fuller for longer, um, and protein has got like a good satiating effect, so it makes you feel full. Yeah. So even aside from the whole protein synthesis, leucine switch, all that stuff that I just talked about, it just tends to help people regulate their intake better if you have more frequent feedings and um, and protein spread out throughout the day. Um, but having said all of this stuff, there, there has been a few studies that have looked at um, the difference between, I think they did it in rugby players, looking at rugby players that were prescribed like four to five protein um, serves per day of a certain amount in line with best practice science. And then other guys that they let just eat, um, they ate the same amount of food, but they just kind of smashed in two big meals or whatever. And there was actually no difference in strength outcomes and body composition changes. Okay. So it's like when we look at it under a microscope and in the lab, it kind of suggests this. But in the real world, again, the biggest thing is how much do you eat in a day? I, I would like the, the number one thing is getting people to eat the right amount of calories and right amount of protein. And then the timing of it all is a far, far second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, as far as not eating sort of a couple of hours before bed, is that sort of what you try to stick to? Was- no, I mean, I, I think it's different for everyone. I like, because again, there's another thing with the protein, right? It's like if you're going to go your eight or 10 hours without eating, having a, a big serve of protein before that time um, without eating anything potentially kind of upregulates all this protein synthesis machinery while you sleep. Yeah. Um, and so the bodybuilders were kind of right with that um, pre bed. Uh, protein shake type type thing again not saying you have to do it by far the biggest thing is how much have you eaten in that day um but like myself i have like a bowl of greek yogurt every night probably 15 minutes before i go to sleep some people you know don't like to eat before bed that's fine as well um definitely like the the research is saying now particularly like with um older people uh you know people at risk of they call it sarcopenia like um, muscle wasting they're they're definitely encouraging these pre-bed protein feedings um, yeah, just to try and, you know, take it as another opportunity to flick that switch and kind of protect against muscle loss. Yeah. Um, again, for young guys and athletic people, I'm just looking at what are they eating in total, what fits into their lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Obviously what their performance goals are too, obviously. Yeah. Someone that's trying to fight in the UFC or someone that's sort of just trying to keep fit at being an accountant at the desk is going to be very Correct. different too. Yeah. Um, talking a bit about, we'll go through the um, the keto diet. What do you think? Have you got any athletes that you're working with that, you, that are on that, that are trying that or – What's your like your personal opinion? Yes. Yeah, so, so again, like, and, and so this is a great example of um of the underlying biochemistry and everything. Um, wh- wh- why it's relevant for high level, high intense activity, keto does not make any sense at all, 
And this is because like the, the harder we work, the more intense we're working, the greater our reliance on carbohydrate. Yep. Um, and so we, we, we don't have a, a, a screen or a notepad here, but um, it, it's like if you just type in fuel utilization during exercise and Google it, you'll see there's these beautiful graphs where they have uh, fat and carbohydrate. They're the two main fuels that our body runs off, right? Yep. At low intensities, um, our body can run almost exclusively off fat. And then at high intensities, our body runs almost exclusively off carbohydrate. So when you're sprinting, the, the guys running tense, well, actually, I lied, they're, they're running off creatine phosphate. That's like really high intensity is creatine. And then when you kind of down gear a little bit, it's carbohydrate. That's only for like seven, seven seconds. Seven, nine, seven, yeah, yeah something like that. Mm. So, but, but if you look like a 400 meter sprint, right, that's 100% carbohydrates they're yeah. using there. Um, so for elite athletes, like having a carb restricted diet uh, or a zero carb diet doesn't really make sense yeah and and you know it's it's just like number one it's biochemistry 101 it doesn't make sense and number two there's so many studies looking at this that show that it, it just doesn't lead to performance that's that's why sports drinks are a thing because they know that as people are fatiguing you feed them carbohydrates they perform better so that's like high end high intense exercise i think it's like it's not even an argument but then in terms of lifestyle and body composition change and stuff I think there's a de debate to be had around keto. Yeah, I don't use it with the athletes that I work with. Again, because they're they're MMA fighters and and, and it's high intense work. But again, for some people, and it's funny, like a guy I live with at the moment, you know, he's kind of doing a keto diet, and for him, it's working great. His goals are to lose fat and build muscle. And it's not that keto is magic for this, but it's just that. So what he needs to do is make sure he gets enough protein go to the gym four times a week and then make sure his calories are low enough that he's going to drop body fat. Yeah. And for him, uh, a keto diet um, fits in with his lifestyle. He likes the kind of foods it allows him to eat. And he says that um, the high fat diet makes him less hungry um, you know, th th throughout the day. So if it's having that effect on you and everything's working and you're getting the results that you like, I'm not going to tell someone that, that they don't have to do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that they shouldn't do it. But um, yeah, high-end High intense athletic performance. I think. I mean, I, I want to talk in absolutes, but to be honest, like I think you'd be crazy to adopt a, yeah. a, a keto approach. And nobody's winning the Tour de France on a keto diet. I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no one's like gonna win medals at the Olympics in rowing or sprinting or running or any of this. What about um, adapting like the dual-fed athlete? They say like he's sort of half because I know Ben Greenfield talks a lot about that, and he sort of lives that way. Where he's sort of keto um, breakfast and lunch primarily, and then mm -hmm. he has like his carb refuel. Of an evening, yeah. Like it's, it's kind of like his ultimate. I was, I guess, his body burning on good amount of fat, but then he obviously is feeding it up with a good yeah. couple hundred grams of carbohydrates in the evening. I know that's what I'm, I'm trying to play with at the moment, just with regards to just to try to get my body better at burning fat. And I feel like, as far as working, like I'm, I got more clarity, I'm more concentrated, mm. and then not as hungry, like you were saying with um, with big test fight. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I noticed with my CrossFit training, like it's fucking, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. so much harder. So, so I was just trying to give myself that challenge with it, but that's one about like adapting the dual fed approach. Is there sort of many people, or or with regards to, have you done much with athletes with that? Because like maybe fatty breakfast, well not fatty, but like you know keto breakfast ish, yeah. and then maybe a keto lunch, and then like a carb. Um, pre pre workout and mm -hmm. maybe post workout or something like that. Is that to, to utilize? Yeah, obviously getting your body adapted to fat burning and then also using the carbohydrates to 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 fuel up around trainings. Yeah, I mean, and 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 it's like, and I'm interested in results and in performance with with the athletes, and less in and less interested in in the labels yeah. on these approaches and stuff. And and the big thing about like uh, working with athletes is that they've all got their kind of preconceived ideas and notions and guys have listened to in the past and all this. So you kind of got to work with people and kind of 
um, you know, let them have their way a little bit. And as long as they're doing something that helps their performance, I don't really care what you call it. <laughs> but, but so having said that, you're saying like a keto breakfast and lunch and then carbs at the evening, it kind of just sounds like a normal diet to me. Yeah. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Just, well, yeah, it's it's just that you're putting the carbs at the end of the day. But yeah. again, I, like I was saying before, the most important thing is the total of what you ate in that day. Yeah. So whether you ate 100 grams of carbs at breakfast, lunch and dinner, or you had 300 but at yeah. the end of the day, you're still having 300 grams of carbs that day. You're definitely not going to be in ketosis. Yeah. Like you, your blood sugar will be lower for, for the for the first half of the day, and maybe you like the, the way that feels, um, and 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 that's fine as well. But but again, um, yeah, I mean, if it's working for you, um, that, that that that's great. And so with some of the athletes that, that we will work with, um, certainly placing the carbs around training is uh, is a good idea because car- carb availability it's kind of going to help you train and best um, best sources in your your opinion like bananas obviously an old an old favorite but i mean what do you just think straight glucose or uh, I, I would shy away from straight glucose only because um i mean and it depends on what your goals are right like if like the athletes that i'm working with fighters are often trying to lose weight right so it's like we want to feed them enough carbs so they can train hard um but still keep those calories low and so it's like Number one, it's the numbers on the page in terms of the carbs and the calories and all this. And then number two, it's their their appetite and their hunger um, and what fits in with their lifestyle. And so if you're giving these guys glucose, it's probably not filling them up that much, mm. um, you know, and, and, and you're trying to manage um, their, their appetite and their, their <laughs> hunger and all this sort of stuff. So it's like I'd rather them eat real foods, um, you know, and, and I'm working in China, right? So these guys just want to eat rice and noodles and, and steamed buns. Yeah. And so we'll kind of just um, have them eat with their main meals because – you know, you, you don't want to make it a pain in the ass. You don't want to be changing things too much. Like the, the best way to do it is to like trick the person to think they're eating normal food and they're not even on a diet. Yeah. So if we can just like, so, so like at work, we have a lot of these snack foods laying around, you know, like kind of granola bar, muesli bar uh, type stuff. And we have some sugary snacks, which would be similar to the glucose and all that. Yeah. Um, and then the guys are also punching their, their rice and noodles and, and, and whatever at the main meals. So instead of touching the main meals, we would just tell them, hey, no snacks anymore. You know, so it's like all that stuff that's available on the fuel bar counter that everyone's grabbing on their way to train, <laughs> you you don't eat that, you know. And, and it's like a sports drink during training. It's, it's definitely not going to hurt and it's probably going to help people in most events, particularly in longer um, duration events, a sports drink's going to help. Yeah. But if you're trying to lose weight, I, I wouldn't be telling you to um, keep, keep the sports drink, but, um, you know, d- don't have rice for lunch if yeah, that's what you want to have. Yeah. I'd rather you go without the sports drink. And have, um, and have the food, yeah. Yeah, but but again, I mean, it's it's it all depends what fits into people's lifestyle and everything. As long as those numbers add up at the end of the day, and I can get them to stick to it, there's many different ways to skin a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, you were with the AIS there for a little bit back in Canberra. Down there, how, how was your experience there? You, yeah. who, who were some of the athletes or, or clubs you were working with? Obviously, doing any stuff with the NRL. Uh, we did not, not myself that much. I know they had a relationship with the Brumbies. We would often have those guys in. Yeah. Um. Man, and I'm from Victoria, so I don't know much about rugby, and I don't even know that much about AFL to, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But um, but rugby even less. But uh, yeah, I, I know the Brumbies come through a bit, and, and and obviously all the different Olympic sports. My I was at the AIS from uh, 2014 to 2017. I did a PhD there, and um, and I was working as a dietitian with our combat sport program. Um, so boxing, judo, wrestling, taekwondo. Um, so the sports that I love. Um, and the sports that nobody in Australia cares about, um, you know, and, and that's why they ended up with me actually, because that, that was the whole deal was like, I got to do my PhD there, but I had to work as a dietitian for free because these sports don't receive a lot of funding. All yeah. the, the big sports is swimming, uh, rowing, walking, race walking get, gets a lot of money. 
um, and say, really? yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, and sailing. These are like Australia's most successful sports at the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and, and then other sports also get, you know, decent, decent chunks of money. I think like gymnastics, maybe basketball, volleyball gets a bit of money, yeah. um, all this sort of stuff. So, so the, these, these sports and athletes were, were, were all around. Um, but the focus of my work is with the combat sports and it was a fantastic experience, man. Like, um, that, that place is amazing. And unfortunately the Australian government has withdrawn a lot of the funding for it. Um, and they've kind of reshaped the model of how the AIS works. So I hate to say it, but the AIS is almost dead now. It's like, because what made that place was the brain power of all the experts that were there. Um, and, and the relationships they had with coaches and everything. And a lot of the top scientists have kind of left, um, because the funding was withdrawn they decentralized the model so they pushed kind of all the training and a lot of the funding and and efforts um outside of canberra it was like the the, the they termed like giving the power back to sports um but because of this you've lost this center of excellence which was like it led the world in sports science research for like 20 years yes. um and i was lucky to be there kind of towards the end of it before it all kind of went went went, went us up but um i mean it, it's it's still kind of functioning in some capacity but but not what it was but it's amazing. Any young scientist or, um, you know, strength and conditioning um, person or uh, physiotherapy or sports psychology or anything like this, like it's just, it was a really magical place to be. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was like a black hole. It was like it sucked everybody into it. Everybody that was there loved their job, worked around the clock, <laughs> didn't have lives. Like it's, um, it. It, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword though. It's one of those jobs, you know, it's like where you just kind of get, like my life was the AIS for like four years. Yeah, well. I was kind of depressing in one sense, but <laughs> I, I learned a lot and had so many good mentors. So it was, it was obviously set you up too for where yeah, you're currently right now. And then you sort of jumped into Gatorade for a bit. How long were you Gatorade for? Yeah, so so at the at the end of my uh, PhD in uh, at the AIS, I started applying for jobs around the world and and got an interview with our uh, Gatorade Sports Science Institute in the US. Um, and so they relocated me to the US, and uh, and I was there for two years. So that was twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um, before moving to China with the with, with the UFC, but um, but Gatorade was good as well. But contrasting that to the AIS, like the AIS was sports science elite performance. All we cared about was making the athletes better. Um, Gatorade's like, not that they didn't have integrity, the science was still science and that it's not like you're lying about things, but there's always this relationship with the brand Gatorade, <laughs> you know? So it's like where, it's not like we make up some study and, and fudge the results to make it that Gatorade's awesome. Yeah. But, you know, if you wanted to do a, um, a, a, a study that had the potential to, you know, not go in line with kind of, I don't know the overall mission. It's you know it was unlikely to get funded and yeah. that sort of stuff. So um, more about probably the shareholders than yeah. uh, what it was about. But but I mean it's it, it wasn't a complete shit show. Like it was still good because they realised that like so I worked for Gatorade Sports Science Institute GSSI. So it was like a separate part. It was separate to the brand Gatorade, yeah. but kind of under the same umbrella. PepsiCo. They're they're, they're all PepsiCo companies, and so they realised by having this legitimate scientific institute, it kind of lend legitimacy to the brand and what they were saying. Yep. So it wasn't a complete just like mouthpiece for the brand Gatorade. We still did, and we did stuff about sleep and about um, uh, energy expenditure and things, nothing to do with sports drinks. Like it was real science, but um, but after coming from the AIS when it was like, that's what sports scientists want, want, want to be doing. You know what I mean? I suppose it was a blessing to be able to be there and spend that much time learning that, huh? Yeah. About sleep, we might touch on that too, because sure. that's obviously a big one. Like what are, any sleep hacks you got or you work with or there's, I know a lot of guys track, I have one of them aura, aura rings that tracks yeah. your sort of sleep cycles. Um, there's obviously Garmin's and stuff, but there's a bit of 
dogma around wearing like a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth device on your body and it can yeah. fuck with your electromagnetic frequency and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, what, what's your sort of insights with regards to that? Well, what are the, some of the stuff you subscribe to, obviously, your athletes you work with? Yeah, I mean, ours, I mean, a lot of sports science, and here's another interesting one about like knowing all the underlying physiology and the nuts and bolts and, 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 and the kind of um, you know, inner workings, but then what you actually end up doing in the applied space is really low-hanging fruit and just kind of really simple stuff. So it's like, you know, there's all this research on sleep and blah, 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 and this, but it's like the, the things that we're constantly working with athletes with is just like basic sleep hygiene and budgeting enough time for sleep. So it's like, you know, if you're not in bed for eight hours, how can you possibly expect to get eight hours sleep? You know, some people say, and it was funny, like um, in China, it's not as bad. These guys kind of sleep a little bit earlier, a lot of them. But like when I was in the US, we're working with like some of the US pro sports and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you've got these NBA players and it's like you're out until 2 a.m. Yeah. Um, and then they're, you know, getting up at 7 or whatever. It's like, how could you possibly get good sleep? It's <laughs> like, I don't care what your electromagnetic field's doing. If you're out in your Ferrari with five girls in your car until 3 a.m., like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, number one, it's kind of kind of selling the message that sleep's important. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of eight hours thing that everyone's been saying for years, that's kind of where the research is with it. It says kind of like eight to nine hours yeah. um, is, is ideal. And athletes probably need more than general for general population i believe like seven to eight hours is probably fine yeah. and then athletes need a little bit more so kind of eight to nine yeah. and the more the better providing like you're not kind of waking up groggy and all this sort of stuff like i think it's like um like lebron james and federer i, th I think those two come to mind you know saying they sleep like 11 or 12 hours a night mm. you know stuff like this um and, and so number one it's like the amount of time and then sleep hygiene just like the room should be cool dark and quiet these are things that people don't often do the the, the one that we find all the time is cool like a lot of people sleep with the temperature too hot yeah. it's better for if the temperature has to be slightly too cold or too hot it's better for it to be slightly too cold Colder. our body's a bit better at heating itself up yeah. um and and you can put the blanket on you and if you get a little bit hot you can hang your leg out you know it's like you kind of regulate that better whereas if the room's too hot you're tossing and turning <laughs> yeah. and you know and, and we instinctually know this yeah um but but so that's a big one cool dark and quiet um the stuff about like turning off electronic devices you know an hour or two before bed, yep. um, no bright lights in an hour or two before bed. You get them on wearing them uh, orange blue light blocking glasses and stuff? Or? I mean, we, we, we don't at the UFC, but when I was in the US, certainly people play around with that stuff. Um, and particularly when it comes to like uh, athletes traveling across time zones and things, yeah. um, that they make big use one. of this stuff. Yeah, yeah that's a big one. Um, stress is a big one, like just telling people, you know, kind of deal with your problem. You know, like meditation, mindfulness stuff, doing that before sleep is going to be really powerful to yeah. help you switch your brain off. You guys um, subscribe and that sort of stuff to the athletes too? Like they like on apps or what's their sort of meditation program or mindfulness practice, I guess? Yeah, in, in, in China, not so much because there's so many other things that we're trying to address and a lot of this stuff is kind of icing on the cake. They, they do a lot of breath work with them at training, like post-training, teaching them to, to get their heart rate down and stuff. But definitely when I was at the AIS and also in the U.S., um, we, we encourage this sort of stuff. So there's, um, man, I'm drawing a blank on the name of that app now. There's, there's a famous one, but they always recommend. Mindful, there's, yeah, there's a few mindfulness. Oh, Gaia is one, mindful, uh, mindful athlete. Um, yeah, there's there's a few, but I mean, any, anything that can kind of you know, amazing, guide, guide somebody through some sort of mindful mindfulness. Um, what sort of breath work are you guys um, primarily teaching? Like either Wim Hof, the sort of, uh, or he's doing just sort of breath counts. Or what are some of the Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure because the SNC coach handles all that stuff. They yeah. build it into into their training. You do um, any personally for yourself? You not, 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 not at the moment. I've done in the past, like just um. So in my jujitsu, quote unquote, career, I'm um, gone through stages of uh, kind of performance anxiety and that sort of stuff, and yeah. uh, and seen a sports psychologist and 
and work on some uh, mindfulness practice. So just like, you know, deep breathing, um, reciting mantras and yeah. um, focusing on the breath and, and this sort of stuff. Box breathing is a good one too. I don't know military use that. I'm not sure about this. What is it? Uh, just in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold gotcha. for four. It's called box breathing. And you can alter the number. Like you can, you can do in for three seconds, hold for three, or you can go in for five. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if you really relax, obviously, if you went right before you're going to fight. But, I mean, if you just lay in a bed, you can do sort of eight or nine counts. Yeah, I find that um, to be really helpful. Yeah, but, I mean the breaths. Yeah, it's amazing. How, I mean that's meditation in itself, right? Because I mean meditation is just about singling your focus on 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 something. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> so it can just be on your breath work on 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 whatnot. And I think that's why they always use the breath, right? Because like the breath is always there, and it's almost like it's a cheap trick to take your mind off everything else. Like if you can just focus and that breath coming in and out, like it's an easy way to kind of not, it's not so much focusing on the breath, it's not focusing on everything else, right? <laughs> yeah. But with uh, jiu-jitsu training, I mean, the breath would be a big thick part of that too, right? Like, because when you're getting into grapples and and is there something you practice with or you've got a little routine or, or what do you sort of work with in your own practice with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously being fit helps. Um, yeah. <laughs> stops your breathing so heavy. Um, but yeah, like I said, like that mindfulness stuff, just, um, you know, really regulating your breathing and being conscious of it. Like I remember... Like I've been doing it so many years and competing so many years, you kind of forget about it. But I remember in the first few years, and, and I watch people do it now. It's just like remembering to breathe. Mm. Like you know, what's the when you lift weights? I, I think it's called the Valsalva technique, where you yeah. you know tense your diaphragm and, and don't breathe so you can lift a heavy weight. But people do it in fights. Yeah, you know they hold their breath to like do some movement and then they forget to keep breathing once the movement's done and you have to yell at guys on the mat you know like breathe in out breathe so you know just like breathing and and yeah just remembering to breathe but 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 i remember like when i was doing that mindfulness stuff when i worked with that sports psych like it was it was so powerful and i did it like during matches sometimes when i felt myself starting to fatigue and it's like anyone who's done a, a combat sport or a really competitive sport you get inside your own head and you start to think holy shit like i'm gassing what if I gas? And then there's like this spiral of, um, you know, getting inside your own head and, yeah. and and like number one, you are a little bit gassed because of your fitness, but then number two, you start to make yourself worse because you start thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I remember being in several matches where I would just like stop, providing you're in a position where you can stop, stop, kind of recite my little mantra, have a breath, you know, kind of say the mantra over in my head a couple of times, then kind of get back to it and, and it really helps, yeah. What are some little hacks you want to share with some of the listeners, like your own personal hacks you've sort of used, obviously that one you just shared, but like as far as your own performance or training or, I mean, something you've learned over the years that you sort of go to, it might be a morning practice or it might be, uh, or whatever it may be. I mean, what is there any sort of, your own little personal hacks you sort of got going on, you sort of go to that you think are valuable? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of boring here. I'm trying to think about that. Um, Probably because you've been doing them for so long, they just become like nature too, right? Like I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a robot when it comes to training and, and stuff. Like I just kind of tell myself I'm going to do it and do it. Yeah. And you know, you get to that point where you're OCD with it, where if you don't do it, it's just eating away at you. Um, I mean, that one there is important, isn't it? Tell yourself you're going to do it and then just do it. I mean, how many people are procrastinating or yeah. or they just sort of like get that whole fear about it? And it's like almost just you get to the door of fear and you just got to fucking push it, and then it opens and you get past it and you look back and you think fuck was I even worried about anyway yeah at at the time it's so real and it's so like it's present and then if you could kind of like there's a resistance right like but then when we can push through that then and obviously we look back and go like fuck what was I even worried about yeah it's um it's funny I mean everyone says this but it's like the 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 Nike slogan the just do it like it's so brilliant isn't it even though it's like the world's most simplest thing but it's right it's like just just fucking do it but um I remember one that one of my mates told me just talking about work and procrastination you know and it's like you've got this thing that you want to do and you just can't be bothered doing it. You're trying to find every excuse in the world. You don't know how to start. You're staring at the blank page. 
and all that sort of stuff and kind of in line with the just do it thing. But my mate is like, the biggest thing is just start. It's like, it doesn't matter what you do, but it's like half the time it's like, just start writing some shit. Yeah. And then it's like, even if it's garbage, you kind of sort it out as you go. But it's like, often we don't do anything because we don't start doing anything. <laughs> but it's like, if you just start doing the task and you tell yourself, all right, I'm going to do that thing. And then you just start doing it, even if it's rubbish to begin with. The, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the first step. And it's like with exercise, like what I'd say, it's like the hardest thing is getting out the front door. Yeah. Um, and so with work, that, that, that's kind of one. So something that I thought was interesting, the sports psych taught me with competing jiu-jitsu is like, because because I'll get inside my own head and it's like and, and I was doing quite well. Um, I kind of dropped off towards the end because of work and whatever. But certainly for the first kind of eight years of competing jiu-jitsu, I was I was pretty successful in in Australia at least. And and then I started like I'd lose a match, and then the next comp I'm like inside my own head. I'm like, oh shit, what if I lose again? What if this happens? What if that happens? Blah blah blah. Yeah. And it's like you know you, you couldn't perform the way you wanted to perform. It's like I didn't care if I lost because the guy was better than me. But it, it's really shit when you don't perform like you do just every day at training, you know? Yeah. It's like, and, and and so something that this sports psych told me, he's like, stop trying to make it happen and just let it happen. Yeah, right. so, so, so that was a powerful thing that he said to me. Um, and, and he said like, you know, just get out of your own way. It's like, <laughs> you, your, your body knows how to do this stuff. You train every day, you've been doing it for years and years. It's like, you, you should be able to do it. And if you can't do it by now, you don't deserve to win anyway. You know <laughs> so what I mean? Right. So stop trying to force it and just let it happen. Let, let it flow. Yeah, I mean, and that's like the flow state stuff, right? Like yeah. that's, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how we all achieve it, but it's but it's awesome when you get like, um, I don't surf, but I imagine surfing's like that. Yeah, it's like you get yeah. in that spot where it's all just happening and you're not really doing anything you're you're a passenger along for the ride like yeah. that's that's where we want to be well you're not doing anything at all really when you do have your best wave you think like you're not trying to think and then when you wipe out you're like because you're trying to break it down you're like i need to do this i need to do that once again get, get in it? your head yeah you, you surf obviously yeah, yeah yeah getting back in i've done it for a little bit over the years but i mean i've sort of last couple of weeks and getting back in a bit more i kind of uh, fell into a bit of a rut with regards to you know just prioritizing the time but i think that back onto like getting grounded spending an hour in the ocean in the morning is like fuck it does so much of a difference like yeah, it's amazing but good being here after living in shanghai shanghai is cool but it, um it's a concrete jungle and then when you uh you see the beach and some some trees and stuff again it's uh it, it's beautiful being in you, nature uh, obviously stuck here because you come over obviously from shanghai just for a trip here initially or what happened with, with regards to so, so this is a good story i've been all over the place so i left china uh for chinese new year in january 22nd of january i left so the COVID thing hadn't really kicked off. Nobody really knew much about it. I, I remember being in the office in Shanghai and they said like, oh, there's this virus. It might be SARS, like SARS. Um, they said in Wuhan and we were all joking about it. And one of the staff said, yeah, they're not letting anyone from Wuhan leave. And they said, if you're in a neighboring city and people see a, a car with a Wuhan license plate on it at, at your house, you can get in trouble. You can't invite your friends and, and all this. And so we just thought it was rel like, kind of isolated there and no one knew it was going to be as big as it is but um but, but anyway i left i left china i thought i was going for one week i went to chiang mai in thailand yeah. for a training trip to train at our team quest and i went to chiang mai for one week and then like three days after i was there this whole covid thing started to kind of get, get get serious and then we had some um all the foreign staff with the ufc in china had had gone um because because chinese new year is is the biggest holiday there it's like christmas um in australia you know and so, uh, so our facility shut down for Chinese New Year. All the athletes went back home to see their families. All the foreign staff um, all left to go see their families. I went to, to Thailand. And then, um, yeah, three days after I left, kind of got serious. We had some meetings with work. They said, oh, we don't really know what's going on, but we advise people not to go back to China yet. So I stayed in um, Chiang Mai another uh, week. 
And then I had a friend in Bangkok and I hadn't been in Bangkok in like 10 years. I thought I'll, I'll just go there and because because work said like, oh, we still don't know what's going on. Just kind of everyone stay outside of China until we figure out what's happening. And at that stage, it was just China that was affected. And um, This would be like end of January, sort of start of Feb? Yeah, yeah. Fir- first week of Feb, something like this. And so then I went to Bangkok and then, and then at this stage, it started to kind of spread, you know, there started to be like a few cases in other countries, yeah. but the US was still unaffected at that stage. Like... Ignorance was bliss back then, but uh, <laughs> and 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 so the UFC company, you know, they, they weren't affected at all yet, yeah. and um and they were just told us all. They said, yeah, don't worry, we'll pay for everything. They were looking after us really good, you know. They they, they handled it well for us. Um, but then they had an event in New Zealand, in in Auckland, the um uh, Dan Hooker versus um Paul Felder event, and and they needed someone to go do the nutrition there, and so they said, well, Reed, you're already stuck outside of China. There's no work for you to do. Um, maybe we'll send you to New Zealand until we figure out what's going on with this COVID thing. I'm like, sure. So I went from um, Shanghai to Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai for a couple of weeks, then Bangkok for a couple of weeks, Bangkok to Auckland. And then like this COVID thing's still not settling down. So then they decided to get all the foreign stuff to go to Las Vegas, which is our um, head office. So then I went to Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas for about two to three weeks and got to do another UFC event, the um, Zhang Wei Li versus uh, Joanna Young Jacek fight in the um, Israel Adesanya uh, Yol Romero fight. So we we got to see that live. That was cool. That and awesome? then and then because I used to live in Florida we, with Gatorade, I've still got a house there. So I went and checked on the house. So then I was Vegas to Florida, and then I was going to go Florida. I was going to go to Australia. And so I already had this uh, trip in Bali planned from like six months ago. I was going to go to Bali, yeah. and and but before Bali, I was going to go to Australia see my mum. I haven't seen my mum in two years. And there was a sports science conference in Australia. I was going to go to. And then uh, the day before I was going to fly, the Australian government went crazy with all the lockdowns and everything. <laughs> like and, you didn't get back there because they would have kept you. Well, well that's it. Yeah. And then like literally my mum texts me, like I woke up the day before I was going to fly and she's like, oh, Australia, blah, 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 lockdown. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I don't want to go there. So uh, I cancelled my flight and, and come straight here. And, and, uh, and, and, then, and then what happened was at that stage, it was like China wasn't closed to foreigners, but they said people can't fly from the US to China because the US had started to get a lot of cases. Yeah. And they said, as long as you're outside of the US for two weeks, then you can come to China. So I went to Bali. I had to stay here for 14 days. Then I could go back to China. And then on day nine, China closed the border completely to <laughs> foreigners. Um, and so I've been here for about four and a half months now, just waiting for the Chinese border to reopen. But I mean, life's all right, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's the worst place to be stuck. Oh, we're very lucky here. Yeah. That's what I've said to my friends and that like, if there's a place... My opinion, if there's a place to be locked down in the rest of the world, friggin' craziness is definitely Bali. Yeah, it's good. Because even there, I mean, even the the full lockdown period here, I mean, you can still you can still train, you can still yeah. you can get your food, and I mean, you can still you know, have some sort of normality. Yeah. Uh, I suppose people back in Australia were sort of full lockdown, couldn't leave their place, or you couldn't be more than. Um, known to more than two people hanging out or they were training in a park together and they happened to stay in like <laughs> 15 metres apart. I was like, oh, I'd definitely rather be in Bali. So what's happening with the UFC in China now? Are they, with all your athletes and stuff, are they just training on their own? Um, yes, yeah, so, so they all, I mean, there's, because our athletes are from all different regions in China. Um, so we're based in Shanghai, but we don't have any athletes from Shanghai. Um, they're from, from all over China. China's a massive, diverse, huge country. Um, so most of them went back to their home gyms. Yeah. A lot of them went to Thailand actually for a few months to Tiger Muay Thai. Yeah. Um, so they were there. They're all back in China though now. You know Cobes from Tiger 
Mouton, no. Kobe, no. Kobe. Kobe, I'm not sure of his last. Kobe's PT is on um, Instagram. I think he's one of the coaches there. Gotcha. No, Kobe. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I've I actually went there at the end of last year, but I don't know the guys that well. I know like George Hickman, the kind of head coach and that there, and, yeah. and some of the other guys that train. Good venue, good setup. It's awesome, man. I used to always go to Phuket uh, top team and train when I was younger. Yeah. And I went to Tiger like once years ago, you know, 10 years ago, and kind of back then it was nothing special. and. Then I went at the end of last year. It's beautiful, man. It's so cool, isn't it? I've seen some photos. I've never been there personally. I've just seen photos and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so our guys are back in China and uh, the Chinese MMA events are often going. So they have domestic MMA events in China. And so we've had guys fighting every month for the past three months or something now. And we're managing them from afar. So, I mean, it's a lot harder when you're not in front of them. But, um, you know, we're kind of writing diet plans for them, giving them advice around all this stuff. But we actually open up again uh, next week. So next Monday... August 3rd is our doors reopen and our athletes are coming back. Not all of them, only about like 15 are coming back to begin with. How many in total are there? We, we were, we started off with 25 when we first opened the doors. And so we had like a combine, like a tryout where we had like 50 athletes from all around China come do, you know, performance tests, how fast they run, how high do they jump, how hard do they punch, test their grappling and striking and all this. And we selected, uh, I believe it was 22 or 24 in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then we had another tryout at the end of last year. We selected another like 15. So we're up to almost 40 athletes. Um, but because of this COVID stuff and UFC lost all this money and everyone's trying to cut costs, we kind of had to let some guys go. Yeah. So we're back to about 20 to 25, somewhere around there. And they're all Chinese. Like they're all Chinese. Yeah. 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 Good. Or all, all, all um, divisions like light, middle, heavy? Uh, no, they're, no, no, no. They're all in the lighter weights. So we have um, males and females, not that many females, but um, yeah, they're all in like the, the 52 kilo, 57, 61, 66. And uh, the, the heaviest guys we have fight at lightweight, which is 70 kilos or 155 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. the biggest we have. And just because like there was a few guys with the heavier weights that tried out. Um, but if you select one or two of them, they've got no one to train with. Mm-hmm. So the advantage that we've got is like, you know, when we had 40 guys, you got 40 guys across like three or four weight divisions. Like it's like there's nowhere else in the world or maybe one or two other gyms where you've got this full-time training center yeah. um, with, you know, where you can just like, – like if you've got a Bali MMA, you know, there's, there's some great fighters there, but there's not 40 guys in three <laughs> weight divisions that you can pair up against each other that are all killers. Like, yeah. What's well, going to make you a better fighter? You're yeah. so diverse, right? You're, you're training with so many different people. It's going to yeah. – everyone's got their own strengths and weaknesses, so the more you can double them up. Yeah, get, get, a, get a whole range of them. Yeah, you're not fighting the same guy every time. Like normally, it's like at a gym. There's you know there's the fight team and there's a handful of guys that are serious, then a bunch of recreational guys. Yeah. And the serious guys are fighting each other every day. But here they um yeah it's 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 a really good good facility and and really good for these athletes' development. Like um it's yeah they they've, they've gotten a lot better. And when we fight on the domestic shows in China, yeah. like our guys kill all the other guys around China. Like we 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 lose a fight every now and then because that's just the nature of MMA. You know, it's like. You can't win at all, but like we'll go to an event every month, and we'll have between five to ten guys fighting, and we've never had um, you know more than one loss. So we're, we're at like a ninety-five percent win, <laughs> win 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 rate or something like this. So pretty, yeah. pretty new venue, I suppose. They would have, would have been like newly built. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so we opened in uh, March last year, and it was, I think it was like fourteen million US dollars. Wow. Um, this this venue and it's huge. It's three times the size of the one in Las Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah, and and so like the 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 bottom floor is all S and C. Floor and, and it's really big. It's really spacious. We've got a lot of equipment, but it's still really spacious. Um, and then we also have like the uh, all the sports science testing equipment downstairs and uh, recovery stuff. So we've got like ice plunge, hot and cold baths, uh, sauna, uh, steam room, uh, cryotherapy. We've got a full 
cryotherapy chamber, like you, you the size of this room. You're a really whole yeah, thing. Like, like a proper one, a full one, not just sort of getting up to you. No, yeah, yeah. proper one. Yeah, well, and uh, you get in, have a go. You yeah, yeah, it. it's fucking cold. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, we might touch on that too. Uh, the hot and cold therapy. What do you think? Obviously, there's different different. I mean, horses for courses, mm. I guess. But as far as I guess, if you're an athlete that you're trying to get for performance, mm. as far as your hot and cold therapy, what do you sort of suggest, or what do you work with for your your fighters on on yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so again, like this, this is my specific area of expertise. We have a uh, like a sports scientist who handles all this, but um, obviously I work with these guys and being at the AIS and being around this stuff, I, I kind of know a little bit. But um, we, we program it based on what the session is. So there's like there, there's different kinds of therapies. Basically, you can kind of divide it into hot and cold. And 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 the the thinking is that like cold kind of blunts some of the responses. Yeah. So it's like when you're really sore, maybe after a sparring session or whatever, you want to do some cold some cold therapy because like you're trying to stop the inflammation and all this sort of stuff. But when you're doing like an SNC session, like inflammation is part of the adaptation process. So you wouldn't really want to be doing cold therapy after lifting weights. Yeah. Although it might feel good, you might potentially be blunting some of the adaptations to that training. Yeah. It's got um, your proteins in it, they release your inflammation. Yeah, all, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's part of it, right? The, the whole idea of training is to cause stress on the body, to cause an inflammatory response that we then adapt to and get better. Yeah. Um, so, so we kind of like all throughout the week, they base their, they do recovery after every session. So they're training twice a day. They're doing recovery twice a day and, and they'll do a different recovery depending on what session so they're they done If they've done sparring and grappling in the morning, they may do some Ice. cold. Yeah. Some cold and then they'll come back and do an SNC session in the other and then they'll do the some hot. hot. Yeah, for sure. Because there's obviously there's the whole, I mean, the four hours sort of window, they say, if you've done, like if you've done weights or you've, or you've torn the muscle, then you sort of want to give it a, is there a particular number you work with or? I mean, they do it straight after. Yeah. Um, four hour windows and I mean you want to have like you said once you've had that inflammation presented you want to keep that inflammation for about four hours because that's going to help with the recovery yeah I'm, I'm not too sure I'm sure there is people that have published stuff about this but I mean there's nothing hard and fast that we kind of work with where we, where we tell them that but certainly it's like if we're trying to avoid the cold exposure it's uh, you know it, it's, it's, it's do your hot stuff go and have hot showers don't have cold showers or vice versa if you're doing it the other way yeah. um, and things like that and just because of the nature of the way the sessions are spread across the day and they've got lunch in the middle um, and then dinner at night, you know, it's it's going to be over four hours before they do the next one anyway. Yeah. And yeah. as far as like a protocol with the cold, you sort of like in for four minutes and you do, don't do a hot and cold, but would you, if you're going to do a cold session, would you do a hot and cold? Like you go, some people say go from the cold and jump in the hot and go back to the yeah, cold. You can. Again, I'm not an expert. I could um, put you in contact with some people that you might want to interview on this stuff, but um there's all different ways to do it as well and, and and the funny thing is when they look at the research but like always there's like there's things that suggest something like if they look at it under a microscope and look at inflammatory markers in the blood and all this and it says well you should do cold after this but not do hot and blah 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 but then when you actually do it with people and measure the performance outcomes sometimes it comes out in the wash and there's no difference well how they feel too if they exactly feel- and so that's the big one like how do they feel if this guy fucking hates doing cold <laughs> why would you make him do cold you, you know what i mean like just just the placebo effect or the nocebo effect of how that and and here's that we have these conversations as well i don't know how much you know about kind of chinese culture and traditional chinese medicine and all this but there's this like hot and cold yeah. do you know this yeah the dampness and the yeah yeah so all this sort of stuff and so like a lot of these guys hate cold you know what i mean like for them being cold is the worst thing they think it's bad for them yeah well chinese medicine is technically that because you can get you, your body creates dampness and you get phlegm and you can get 
um, yeah, it's, it's big in Chinese yeah, medicine. Yeah, and so if, like, if people have these like really strong beliefs around this stuff, it's like you might be doing more harm than good, even yeah. if there is a benefit to doing the cold. Well, then, like you said, the nocebo effect is going to eliminate yeah, that. Yeah, if their brain's so convinced that it's going to be bad for them, maybe you just let them do the hot, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, that's right. And I guess it all comes back to performance and, and I mean, just knowing what works and what doesn't work, hey, like, and just, just trying it. I mean, try yeah. it for yourself. If it works for you, then great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. Yeah. That's why I think there's no magic pill solution because there's so much different stuff out there. Like, yeah. Um, but I think more of it's just about experimenting and, um, and doing it yourself and feeling the difference. It, it, it is. It's like as any uh, applied practitioner in sports science and, and coaching that, it's like you use the science to inform your opinion, but you, you've, you've got to use the evidence of, of what you're measuring in your athletes to kind of change the interventions that you're doing. So it's like, you know, I, the benefit of being a dietitian and having read all this stuff and done a PhD and blah, 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 is that of like my starting point of what I would suggest somebody do is probably better than somebody who doesn't know anything, <laughs> right? But if this guy's, if I'm feeding him a certain amount of calories and he's not losing weight and I want him to lose weight, I can't just sit there and say, well, the textbook said that this is how much he needs. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, fuck, it's, I, I need to adjust, right? Yeah. But it's like, it's it's gives you an informed opinion if you base it on the science. It's a blueprint. As far as oh, this recovery, fucking a blank. Yeah, re- re- recovery gets kind of really nuanced and complicated and all this sort of stuff. I think as long as they're doing something, like I know like our uh, sports scientist, he, um, he's worked with different teams before and stuff and some of the stuff that he's had success with athletes that he's worked with teams in the past, he's just giving them like a recovery menu, so to speak, where it's like there's all these different options, foam roller, stretching, breathing, meditation, ice bath, hot, cold, blah, 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 all these oh, things. Yeah. And he doesn't idea. really care what they do. Yeah. He just says like, look, Every week, I want you to collect 10 points and foam roll is worth two points. Hot's worth one point. This is what, you know, so yeah. it's like better than doing nothing. Yeah, that's good. And just like be doing something. And more diverse, the better you get in the body. Yeah. I mean, potentially. And, and also giving them some autonomy to choose, you know, make them yeah. do what, what makes them happy. Like if you love using the foam roller and you're going to, and you hate doing the cold bath, but I'm saying your only option is cold, maybe you don't <laughs> do it at all. And as soon as I'm not looking, you jump out, you know, things like that. Whereas yeah. if you let them do the foam roller and they love it, at least they're, they're doing something that's going to help them. That's what I was going to mention to you. Like as far as uh, the blood mapping and, and working with that, obviously you get your athletes for like blood testing, you know their deficiencies. No. And as far as like do you base a diet, because there's a bit of stuff out there with regards to you know, what blood type you are, mm-hmm. depending on what food you should eat, or is that something you sort of... Nah, that's, that's that, see, that's another one of the ones that's a little a bit... bit um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it nicely. It's not supported by the science, the, yeah. the blood type diets. Certainly like... Uh, you know, you can do blood tests to identify if someone's low in iron, low in vitamin D, you know, all, all this other stuff, and then recommend supplementation based off that. Or maybe you identify, uh, you know, an area that can be improved by diet, um, but it's not like, oh, you're a type A, you need to eat this, you're a type B positive, you need to eat this stuff. Yeah, that, that's not supported by evidence. What about any of that sort of um, allergy testing and, and food sensitivities? You, the athletes work with any of that sort of stuff, getting like the hair testing, so there's a certain amount of foods that they uh, give an inflammatory response or, or whatnot? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the hair testing that you're talking about, but um, I mean, certainly like uh, food intolerances and yeah. and, 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 and th- things are relevant. We don't do any of that with our athletes um, in China just because, again, there's so many things and we're trying to get kind of the basic stuff yeah. right with these guys. Yeah. Um, but definitely like at the AIS and, and in the past when I was working in the States, like, you know, if you're working with a particular athlete and they've got some issues, you can send them to relevant uh, professionals to get different tests done for food. Um, not so much allergies, but like intolerances and stuff. Like, I don't know whether you've heard this term FODMAPS, F-O-D-M-A-P-S. Mm, no. So FODMAPS is a big one where like it, it kind of leads into the area of like um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Yep. And so they can do these tests now 
um, to identify certain foods that your body's not digesting well. And this is like rock solid science. Yeah. Like there's a lot of this other stuff where it's like, you know, they, I don't know, r- rub a mushroom on your elbow and then look at the, and then hold it up to the moon and see, <laughs> you, you, you know, what color the reflection is or, you know, this sort of stuff. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm joking, of course, but um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff in the nutrition world that's kind of a, a, a bit fluffy and, and not supported by science. But, um, you know, certain things like obviously lactose intolerance is a thing. Um, celiac, um, allergy to gluten is a thing. There's allergies to, to you know, dairy proteins and milk protein, um, egg proteins and, and wheat proteins. That, that's that's the celiac. I keep touching this microphone. Um, but, you know, so, so there is some relevant tests. Yeah. Um, I would say to anybody who's interested in this stuff, speak with an actual dietitian because, yeah. you know, again, they've gone through all the university training and they kind of know this stuff. Um, and, and even then, like, I'm a dietitian and a sports dietitian and PHE and blah, 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 but I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of this allergy stuff. It's quite a nuanced area, um, and there's dietitians who specialize in this stuff, and they work out of hospitals and clinics and things like this. Yeah, Yeah. specifically in in that that area. I mean, it's like medicine, right? It's like a podiatrist is your foot guy, like he's a doctor, and a um, gastroenterologist is is the gut guy, and they're both (laughs) doctors, but they kind of don't know what each other are doing, you know? Um, They would know a little bit about what they're doing, but um, yeah, you really want a specialist when you're dealing with these allergies and stuff. Sure. I guess before we finish, I might just touch on like supplements. I guess sure. for for a performance base, have you sort of like you've got a personal goal, whether you want to fight in the UFC or you yep. or you want to you know, hit a PR or whatever. As far as I guess it's a pretty deep rabbit hole to dive into, but we'll just sort of give us a touch on a couple of go tos. You think, or, yeah, or yeah. you work with your athletes that you sure. sort of yeah, yeah. There's um, I mean, and it depends on your goals, and it's not that much of a rabbit hole. It is when you start to go into all the maybes and the kind of not really supported by science, but maybe I'll give it, give it a go type thing. But actually, the, the, the really effective supplements are widely agreed upon by, by scientists, nutrition scientists around the world and, and in academia. Um, it's only when you get supplement companies selling <laughs> stuff and that, you know, they kind of will try and tell you some things are, yeah. are relevant when they're not. But um, like, like there's some big ones, right? And so first I'll tell you like the, the supplements that I would recommend fighters and athletes that are more kind of like, you know, high intense athletes because it's like you kind of got like endurance athletes guys that are, you know, trying to run marathons and do, you know, long bike events and some of those supplements wouldn't be as relevant to like fighters or team sport athletes and that. Yeah, even CrossFit, I guess CrossFit is yeah, but high, yeah. high intensity training. Yeah, yeah like, like CrossFit, uh, fighting, probably team sports all kind of fit in, the, in, in a similar category. And so good supplements for these guys and we can divide them into supplements and sports foods. So sports foods are like protein powder, uh, sports drinks, protein bars, weight gains, all this sort of stuff. That's like replacement for diet. Right, but if you've got your diet right, if you're getting enough protein and enough carbs and stuff in your diet, you don't need these things. But they can be a convenient way to get these things. Yeah. Um, particularly like protein powder, you know, it's like a lot of people. Um, Western is not too bad, but other kind of um people from other cultures around the world sometimes their diets lack protein. Like in China, the average protein intake's like thirty grams a day or something. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like they don't get that much protein. So for these guys, protein supplement can really help. But you know, a lot of Westerners. You know, eat a three hundred gram steak for dinner. So, like, you're, 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 you're always getting your, 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 all your protein there. But, but I digress. But then, in terms of actual supplements, all right. So, for these guys, good ones, creatine for sure. Creatine is like, you know, the rock solid supplement. Definitely is going to help. Um, helps with like high intensity output. So basically, it's like like we talked about before. You've got a certain amount of creatine stored in the muscle cell that we use during high intense efforts. So, like lifting weights, sprinting, anything that's really high end for about ten seconds 
you're, you're running off creatine. And so when you supplement with creatine, you can increase the amount that's in your muscle. And, and so basically it means that like, instead of sprinting for 10 seconds, maybe you can sprint for 11 seconds. Yeah. Instead of doing nine reps on a weight, maybe you get 10 reps. And, and so what this does is that over time, if you're getting a little bit more in each workout, you're gonna get greater gains and adaptations over time. So creatine definitely works. It's and been, as far as, sorry, stop me on that, but yep. they say like a three gram dose, like is yeah, adequate or like that. three gram, and then you don't have to cycle it either. Cause there's a lot of dogma around like, creatine loading and then yeah. deloading and blah, blah, blah. What do you recommend? With- I mean, lo- lo- loading's definitely appropriate. You don't have to load. Here's the thing. It's like you're trying to uh, saturate these stores in your muscle. Um, if you just take and, and three grams, now they're starting to think maybe we should tailor it to the person's body size. Yeah. So it's like three grams for most people. If you're a 90 or 100 kilo guy, maybe you need five grams. Yeah. But basically it's like a teaspoon, right? Or like get the scoop. Of, and if you have a little bit more, it's not going to hurt you. So like just getting the scoop, having like a heap scoop of the creatine is probably good enough serve. If you have one serve a day, it probably takes about 30 days to maximize those stores. If you do the loading phase, you'll maximize them in about five days. Okay, and then you so, just drop back to one And then you just drop it back yeah. to one a day. So it just depends what fits in with your lifestyle. Me, I'm like, want to get it all as good as I can. So I will do the loading phase, right? Yeah. But if you're- Especially if you're starting from scratch, right? If someone if goes out to buy sure. tomorrow, they'll go load up for a week and then drop back to- yeah. Correct. But if, if I've got athletes that where, and this is what we do, where we don't want them to have to think about it and we're just going to put it in their shake form and give it to them, we'll just give them one a day. And that way, you know, it's like, you're not changing things and loading and not loading and all this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that definitely works. And certainly decades and decades of research supporting it. The next one, which is kind of new, um, but not that new now, but but it's kind of on the same level of creatine, beta-alanine. Yeah. So beta-alanine definitely so works. Tingles, all that stuff. Gives you yeah. the tingles. Yeah, that's how, how most people know it. And uh, and beta-alanine works not quite the same, but in a similar fashion that um, essentially what happens is beta-alanine gets converted to a substance called carnosine, and carnosine is a buffer of lactic acid or lactate yeah. um, in the muscle. And so often when we train, the reason why we fatigue is because of the buildup of lactate. And, and so even when you're lifting weights, right, it's like the, the reason you fatigue, it's like partly because of creatine. And, and particularly if you're doing like, you know, one and two reps, it's like creatine's definitely going to help there or three and four reps. But when you're doing 10 to 15s, it's more like lactate, right? Yeah. You're getting that burning in your muscle. Yeah, your legs, yeah. Yeah, and CrossFit for sure, right? Um, and sprinting and team sports and all this supplementing with beta alanine improves the body's ability to buffer lactate and so again it helps you push a little bit more every workout and so over weeks and months you're going to do more work you're going to adapt more so creatine beta alanine we use this with our athletes beta alanine you've got to follow the the protocols as well it takes some time for it to build up in your system and it takes a lot longer and the half-life as in how long it lasts in your bloodstream is quite short so you have to split the doses out throughout the day. It's actually kind of a pain in the ass to take. The, the normal beta alanine, they recommend like three times a day, which is a pain in the ass. It's like first thing in the morning, halfway in the day, and then before bed. Now they have these slow release formulas. They say you can take twice a day. And if you can't take it twice a day, maybe take all the pills in the morning. But it's probably not going to be as good as spreading out throughout the day because it's like you're trying to get these levels up in the blood that then go into the muscle. Um, and if you're having it all at once, and by the end of the day, it's no longer in the blood and, and all this sort of stuff. So... It's kind of annoying to take. Creatine's the easiest um, to take, but uh, beta alanine is definitely effective. Caffeine, I mean, everyone loves coffee, but caffeine's probably the number one research supplement ever, um, and it definitely works. There seems to be a sweet spot, like you've got to take enough of it to, to get the effect. Too much tends to pe- give people the jitters and, and can make you anxious and, and stuff. So something that one of my mentors would often say, and these people have published a lot of research on caffeine, is that Caffeine can lead to small performance improvements, but can lead to like big fuck ups. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it's like 
you're, you, you have enough of it, you get a slight improvement in your performance, make you feel better, perform a little bit better. Actually helps endurance sports as well. Like people that take caffeine, people that don't take caffeine run until they're tired. It's an hour. With caffeine, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it's significant. But when you're anxious and there's, you know, you're at a competition, your heart's pounding, <laughs> you're second guessing yourself, caffeine can make that worse. Mm, you're in a combat sport like you're talking about, then you're in your own head and the thoughts are exactly. running around 10 times fucking faster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got to be That's careful. That's so, so cool and true. No? Yeah, they say kind of three to five milligrams per kilogram of body weight is is, is the ideal for caffeine. So, so these ones are good. Other performance supplements... So nitrate, so like beetroot juice is one that people are talking more and more about. And that's kind of more for uh, endurance sports. And um, what's the other one I want to talk about? Uh, so bicarb, so simple bicarb soda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the cheap stuff that you put in cakes and stuff. So this works the same as beta alanine. It's a, it's a buffer of lactate, but that's in the blood. Beta alanine ends up in your muscle cell and bicarb ends up in the blood. Um, and bicarb is very effective, like 100% effective. The problem with bicarb is when you take it, it leads to stomach upsets. So a lot of people take bicarb. They like farting or maybe even get diarrhea and this sort of stuff. So you really have to be careful with the dosing and you have to play around with it a lot prior to an important competition. Like you, like I've had judo athletes at the AIS, guys like he read a thing, oh, bicarb's going to help me fight. So I was like, he's never done it before. <laughs> tablespoon. Yeah, on, on the morning. But, but the problem is that's how much of it you need to take I'll to get the effect. Yeah, you it's, take it's it a lot. all at once too? Or can you split yeah. that dosage up with bicarb? Yeah, so people are, have been, like people make their life's work out of trying to get these um, protocols correct, right? So there's different ways to do it. Definitely taking a large dose before an event um, will end up with bicarb in your blood, which will buffer lactate or lactic acid. The problem is that the stomach upsets. So, so people think like, I think they say to take it like an hour or 90 minutes before. Yeah. But now people are saying like, well, maybe I take the last dose 90 minutes before, but then split the doses up like, so 90 minutes, 120 minutes, 150 minutes, 180 minutes. So kind of break the dose up oh, yeah. across the morning. Yeah. So you're getting the same total dose, but giving your guts like more time to handle it. Other ways to do it is like do it in consecutive days leading up to the competition. Some are now even talking about like we can load it up for maybe a week beforehand and then not even have it on the day of competition, yeah. thinking that our blood levels will, will be higher. But you um, wouldn't obviously you wouldn't take them two together. If you're doing beta alanine, then you're not going to be doing. No, you carb. would. You, you oh, can. You do? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because they are working different. Because they work the different. Yeah. The okay. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So, so I mean, so this is the ultimate, right? It's like get get more creatine in the muscle so that you've got more fuel, and then have the, the, the beta alanine, which ends up carnosine inside the muscle to buffer the lactate that ends up in, in the muscle cell. And then that that gets out into the blood is getting buffered by the, yeah, well, by the bicarb. You're covering both bases, aren't yeah. you? Ultimate. This is how we make superhumans, apparently. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, the, but, but I'll, I'll be honest, like, I never use bicarb with my athletes just because it's such a pain in the ass to try and figure out the dosing protocol. Yeah. Something that the athlete has to take on themselves because like, they need to be yeah. actively navigating their way through. Rather, if you're subscribing that, they turn on the next day going, man, you've, what have you done to me? Yeah, 100% correct. They need to be the ones. I take bicarb every morning. It's more for um, on an empty stomach, first thing in the morning with hot water. That's just mainly for, they say, with the microbiome. It helps with killing any bacteria. Oh, yeah. Because obviously when we sleep, they say we get like 600 different bacteria in our mouths and whatever. That's more of like a... Like a health. I it, yeah. But I didn't know about it. And also I do it in in my salt bath because it's supposed to help. It's a bit spiritual, but it helps with your aura, cleanses your aura. So it's interesting. I might try and start using that a bit in the afternoons before training. Yeah, I'll I'll send you some information. I don't know if you have like documents or you know links or whatever to share with your listeners. Yeah, no, I'll put it up. up, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll chuck in uh, also where they can find you on your Instagram. You're on Facebook too? I I am. I I don't use it much. I'm useless at all these things. I've I've got personal Facebook, Read Real. People can have me. 
Um, I've also got a, a Facebook page, Combat Sports Nutrition, that I don't update at all anymore, but people still keep liking it and, <laughs> and sending me some stuff. But um, pro- probably Instagram or... Yeah, I'll add links. I'll get the links yeah, and sure. put them down and chuck them in there. But that'd be good if you can share some, yeah, some yeah. of that. It'd be good for the obviously listeners to be able to have a, a visual concept of a tour yes. when they're reading through it. Uh, thanks, bro. And what, what was the other one? So we've got the, the performance ones and then you sort of... And then you kind of got some, some, some health ones. So ones for health, like vitamin D... Um, a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D and, and certainly if you don't don't get a lot of sun and this sort of stuff, so most people kind of know that vitamin D, we, we synthesize from, from um, UV radiation exposure. But, but what they're finding in more and more over the recent decades and, and, and recent years is that vitamin D, we used to think it was all about calcium and strong bones, but actually vitamin D, it's essentially like a hormone mm. that communicates between a lot of cells and, and organs and stuff in the body, and it's involved in so many... It's like hundreds of different processes Mastermind, in the body. Eh? You it's use like, vitamin D, yeah. Mm. And, and so by like optimizing vitamin D status, you can optimize a lot of these other processes. So, so that's a big one. And so we give all of our athletes vitamin D, even if they haven't been shown to be deficient. Yeah. Um, research has said that a low-dose vitamin D is safe for everybody, yeah. and so that's a good one. Fish oil, a, sorry to pull yeah. you up, but there's a... There's a Obviously, you got to mix it with, is it calcium, they say, to get the absorption rate? Or the, or no, that, that's the other way around. You think like calcium, they say, take with vitamin D. Oh, calcium with vitamin D. Because vitamin okay. D helps yeah. with the absorption So vitamin D can just be on, uh, purely on its own. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. just take vitamin D. Yep. Um, fish oil can be beneficial for some people. Um, and then if you've got identified deficiencies, so like iron for people, but iron is not something you would just go out and start taking. No, that can, can be detrimental, eh? like an iron supplement can be... Iron overload is, is definitely a thing, yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's if, if it's not needed, it's it, it can be harmful. Um, and obviously, once you've got your diet in line, you're going to be getting a lot of those main... You, you would think, but the body's a complicated and interesting thing. Some people just have genetic, you know, whatever, predispositions to having low iron, and, and some people the opposite. Some people... You could analyze their diet and say, wow, they're getting a lot of iron, and then you check their blood and their iron shit, yeah. and vice versa. You get some people like vegans who you would assume have got low iron status based on they don't need any iron or very little. They're just getting in, in the plants, and if they're not selecting the right sources, maybe they're not getting very much in their diet, but their body's just set up in a way where they're very good at absorbing iron and they don't excrete it, and so their body's very good at balancing these things and, and holds on to it. The only way to really know is to get your blood tested, and that's why it's like the kind of old messages of, Going to your doctors, what is it? If you're under 30, at least every five years, once you're 30 every year, you yeah. know, get your bloods tested and that. Females probably go every year because there's a little bit more going on there. But um, It's such an important bit of uh, wisdom. Like, is you want to you do any changes, the first thing you should do is go get your bloods done. Because huh? then yeah. you've got to – it's like taking your car to get a service. I mean, you, otherwise you don't you know. You want to know what's going on. You want to know yeah. what's happening. You want to know because otherwise you don't just watch an ad on Instagram and think, oh, that supplement is going to – See you guys throwing a lot of weight around. I need to get that. And it's M- like, most people do. That's yeah, unfortunately the, trick, the space we were in. The trick to it, huh? Yeah. Uh, any other things? Any other ones you want to share quickly? Yeah, and 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 just multivitamin can be useful. But yeah, that, that, that's probably the big performance ones are your creatine, um, caffeine, beta alanine, bicarb if you want to go that route, uh, nitrate, and and then uh, sports foods is appropriate. Your protein and your maybe some carbohydrates like sports drinks and that yeah. can help also. Awesome, brother. Uh, you got a website too, be able to share on your. Um, Not really. No, no. Just, they can just get you through social media. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll share a bunch of links. I've got some like Google Scholar. I don't know your audience if they're interested in research, but I've got all my uh, research we've published and stuff is on Google Scholar and ResearchGate, yeah, which nice. is like the Facebook for nerds. So yeah. I'll share all these links. You can put it up. Awesome, brother. Cool. I thoroughly enjoyed that, my man. Thank you. No, it was good. I'm pumped. It was good to. Uh, well, obviously, the podcast was about. We're sharing the story from recovery to mental health, but obviously human optimization too. And what you've shared today is probably not going to, for a person that's 
recovering from drugs not so much, but it's not just about that either. It's about people that want to take their training to the next level, want to take their performance to the next level, get a bit of an insight. No, so it was amazing. Sure. Thank you, my man, and uh, I'll share all that stuff for you guys on the show notes, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Thank you. Bye for now. So stay tuned. Uh, sending you guys love and light. Thank you for listening to the Justin Louis podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and please subscribe and like, and leave some comments. Um, and feel free to share this to anyone you feel may benefit from the information was provided here. Sending you love and light and wishing you the health and happiness that you deserve. Bye for now.